Well, hopefully everyone uh, knew to pick up a, a little outline as you came in. If not, perhaps they could even be handed out. Uh, you always get the, the notes of the passage. But then uh, for the next seven weeks, we're going to be using this scroll. And it has uh, an outline we'll use because we're going to look at seven letters in the book of Revelation that were written to seven specific churches of that first century. But these letters are letters for Oakland Drive Christian Church today. They're for uh, churches of all times and all places. With uh, We're going to look at seven major characteristics or attributes that Jesus Christ wants in his church. I don't uh, know if you did this. I didn't. Uh, some people tell me they do. They, they write out lists of what they're looking for in their mate uh, before they get married, and uh, then they will check off. Well, in some ways, Jesus Christ uh, said, these are, are what I'm looking for in a relationship with my bride, the church. You know, God um, called Israel his bride. The church is the bride of Christ. And um, we need to look at our relationship with Jesus Christ as exactly that, a relationship. Earlier uh, this morning, someone shared that even communion can become very routine. And in a marriage relationship, it can get into a rut. And we need to renew uh, that relationship, and that's what we'll be looking about this church here today as well. You know, it's interesting that over the years of doing weddings, uh, people started asking if they could write their own vows, and I would always say, that would be fine. I need to see them ahead of time because I want to make certain that it says the same principles that you would find in the traditional vows, which are... Um, to uh, stay together for better, for worse, richer and poor, sickness and health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. I had a girl one time say that she wanted her vows to say this, I will stay with you until my love departs. I didn't allow that. <laughs> I remember I told her, I said, well, that won't work. I said, after a couple mornings, you're going to smell his morning breath, and you'll say, my love departed, you know. You're going to find something that won't work. Um, as we walk through this, uh, this transition time here at Oakland Drive, where you'll be looking for a new senior pastor, it's very common for a church to really focus on that, uh, just like when you're looking for a mate. But I think the wise thing to do is to also look at yourself. and What kind of a congregation would we be for this next pastor? And believe me, that next pastor is going to be looking for characteristics in this church. And uh, so I think it really would behoove us to, to take this seriously and look at it. Uh, we're going to do something unusual that I've done in various churches that I've gone in in these times. And that is after... This worship service, those who would desire, we're going to go to a classroom and we have some discussion questions that will be asking questions like, well, how is, in light of this, how's Oakland Drive doing? What could we do to improve? Maybe we're doing very well in some areas. 
And then we're going to look at the fact that Oakland Drive Christian Church is made up of individuals. How am I doing as a Christian in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, the Word of God is where the power's at. Last week we studied that, uh, uh, or two weeks ago, that there is a special blessing uh, given in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed are those who read this letter out loud, and those who hear it, and those who heed it, obey it. So each week, I'm going to ask us to stand in honor of God's Word, if you do that right now. And I'm going to read out loud chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And this is the authoritative word of God, a letter from Jesus Christ. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patience, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet, you do have this. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I'll grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Thank you. You may be seated. I've had the privilege of spending several days uh, in Ephesus itself studying and actually in the seven churches of Revelation over in modern-day Turkey and uh, one of the things you learn, if we could go back to the map, I think there was a map earlier, yes. Uh, some would, there's all kinds of ideas as to the order, and it was like a historical order, and today we live in the age of the Church of Laodicea. I actually don't believe that's true. I believe it was very practical if over the Isle of Patmos that the mail route went that way. The mailman would first go to Ephesus, then to Smyrna and Pergamum, the order in which it's laid out here. So most scholars believe that what we're looking at here, the letters were delivered in that particular order. So uh, these letters are for all churches of all time and uh, lessons for all of us. But it says to the angel, and we learned that that word angel means messenger, that each church seemed to be assigned a messenger, um, of the church in Ephesus, and that perhaps even Oakland Drive Church has a particular angel assigned to it, a guardian angel of the church, whatever. We don't know that, but there was an angel assigned to the church in Ephesus. This was a major city. This was a very blessed city with what realtors would say are the three blessings, 
What are those? Location, location, location. Uh, on a seaport. It, it was uh, the capital of the Roman province of Asia. It was very wealthy. It was uh, very religious, but it was to that Greek goddess Artemis. And it was uh, uh, also uh, just despicable, the worship of Artemis. And you learn in the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul uh, was in a heap of trouble because those that became believers burned their magical books and uh, it affected the, the trade, the silver tra- uh, trade of making the little idols to Artemis. And uh, this was some place. It was huge. And yet in that huge polluted city was a church, the church of Ephesus. You know, we don't believe it was very big. But, uh, you know, uh, we tend to look at the majority of being, uh, if the majority says it, then it's right. Do you know that scripturally speaking, the majority was almost always wrong? (laughs) I mean, how many guys went into the promised land and spied it out? Twelve. How many said we could go in? Two. What were those guys' names? Joshua and Caleb. What are those other ten guys' names? No one knows. (laughs) There was a small group of people in that town that made up believers in Jesus Christ. This was a very blessed church, too, with leadership. We find that this is the city where uh, Priscilla and Aquila was at, and then Apollos. And then Paul spent a considerable length of time there. And then he gave it over to Timothy. And then John was the pastor of that whole province there. This was a well-taught church. And we find in the book of uh, Ephesians that uh, they were well-taught. And yet Ephesians ends with this statement, that uh, grace to all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. There's the possibility that your love could die out like a fire that the embers all die out. Yes, you know this. I'm positive that your town is the same way as all towns across as you travel. You go through any little town through here. In downtown, you'll always see some big brick church that at one time was a mainline denomination and apparently really was going well because they have nice facilities. And yet if you went in there, that place is deader than a doornail. A handful of elderly people there, and it only exists because they have an endowment. What happened? And you can hear its history. All one time we were a live church. I know them all around where I live. I'm sure you know them as well. A church could actually lose its love? Yeah. As a matter of fact, this is one that did. Even after such great teachers, something happened to this church. This is from, we see who it's to, and then it says from, this is the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. You know, even as I read this, I thought, Jesus Christ is here right now in spirit. 
Whenever you gather together, two or three are gathered together in his name. There he is in the midst of them. We're here. He's walking amongst the seven golden lampstands, which are the churches that hold. They don't have light in themselves, but they hold up that light. He's here. He's walking around. He's speaking to us. He holds us powerfully in his right hand, and he's always present. Now, we're going to be looking each week at these churches, and this church has a commendation. They don't all have commendations, um, but this church does. This church has some really wonderful things. If you read this at first, you think, I want to join that church. He says, I know, Jesus always knows, your works. I know that your, to- your toil and your patient endurance. That word toil there means I know you work yourselves to exhaustion. It's that strong of a word. I know that you, what your works are. I know that you toil to exhaustion. I know that you're patiently enduring. It was a very difficult place to live. This was, this was under Rome, under Domitian. You would lose your business, the ability to, to buy and sell in this city unless you burned incense to Caesar. The Christians there, it was costly to be a Christian. There was difficulties without, but there can also always be difficulties within. He says, and I know that you cannot bear with those who are evil. You're a pure church. You, uh, you don't let any impure behavior happening in your church. And you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. Found them to be false. <laughs> You're a pure church doctrinally and in behavior. These are all wonderful qualities. So far it thinks, wow, I think I'd like to join this church. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary, even though it's extremely costly and you're just a small group in this city. It's tough, but you're doing your duty. Your, your doctrines, your behaviors, your beliefs are all good. If we use the parts of the body, you're thinking straight. You've got your head on, doctrinally. And that, by the way, we're going to see that's extremely important. Doctrine has fallen upon hard times these days. Doctrine's what sick folks need, and we're sick, <laughs> right? Doctrine, need to see a doctor. Their head was right. They were thinking straight. They got an A plus on doctrine. Their hands were working. Their feet were working. They got an A plus on doing their duties, on behaviors. What compliments? But now there's a complaint And the complaint is this. Now, this is Jesus speaking. But so far, I think they thought, man, all A's. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I have this against you. Boy, when they started reading that, I bet things got quiet. (laughs) You have abandoned the love you had at first. They had a heart problem, not a head problem. They had... Their hands were doing fine, their feet, their actions. They had a heart problem. You know, if you go for a yearly physical and the doctor says, hey, I see you're lifting weights. You got some good muscle tone there. Um, You seem to be mentally acute. But then the doctor listens to your heart, puts that stethoscope down. He goes, wow. (laughs) You go, wow, what? (laughs) 
<laughs> that ought to be the same response here. You have a heart problem. You lost that loving feeling, as the righteous brothers sang. You know, why is it that certain songs, that song, I, that, that goes clear back to the 60s. The Righteous Brothers. Why is it still around? Certain songs really touch our souls. Tina Turner, what's her song that she's famous for? Yeah. What's love got to do with it? Well, just about everything since you asked. (laughs) Right? Just about everything. Can you imagine in a marriage relationship, one of them says to the other, you've lost that love and feeling And they look at the end and say, well, what's love got to do with it? (laughs) Well, just about everything since you asked. And Jesus says the same thing. He says, you got an F on love. Wait a minute. This is the church that's commended so much 30 years earlier. What went wrong? Where'd their heart go? You know, it reminds me of... Mary and Martha. Let me read that passage. I know it's familiar to you as well, but just to review it. Now, Martha wasn't a bad person here by any means, but we can get so engrossed in the work that we forget the person. Now, this is in uh, Luke 10. As they were on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Both were great, right? Come on in. I bet she cleaned that house. (laughs) But Mary, she was just kind of enthralled with Jesus and sat at his feet and listened to him. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Much serving wrong? No. No. But it does say she was distracted from the relationship. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Serve, help were important to her. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. It was like a term of endearment said that way. Martha, Martha, you're so anxious and so troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion. And it will not be taken away from her. What she's doing is a good thing. I'm not going to tell her to get up and start fixing a meal. You know, some scholars believe what Jesus said is, you're, you're so distracted fixing many dishes, just, just make a casserole. <laughs> just one thing's needed, you know, just bread and would be fine. Because it's the relationship that counts. You know, the book of Proverbs says it's it's better to have just a bowl of vegetables where love is than a fatted calf with turmoil. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? So what happened? Somehow they had drifted off over time. Busy, busy, busy. And they were no longer sitting at the feet of Jesus in a sense, meaning... The relationship wasn't central. Maybe they got too involved in, in uh, ritual or uh, routine, got in a rut. 
Uh, I read where up in Alaska, there is actually a road in a rural, uh, rural section that goes for 200 miles. And it says at the beginning, choose your rut carefully. You'll be in it for the next 200 miles. <laughs> You're not getting out of it. Well, how do you get out of a rut? Thankfully, there's a remedy given. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Where did I go wrong? Where did this start? How did I get here? Retrace your steps. Isn't that what we do when we lose something? We go back and we say, okay, let me think through, and you retrace your steps. This takes time, by the way, to remember and say, what what did it used to be like? Why did I get into Christianity in the first place? To go to church and work? Or was it about Jesus? Was it a relationship? Where did I go wrong? You retrace your steps. Why did I, yeah, like in a marriage, why did I marry this person anyway? It's what you do in premarital counseling. Go back and think through. Why did did you ever get married in the first place? Where... uh, Why did I come to Jesus in the first place? To just be religious? And then it says repent. Now that sounds like a real religious word. But it's no different than you're driving down the road, you realize you're going the wrong direction, and you say, I'm wrong. I'm going the wrong way here. And you turn around and you go back the other way. You go the right way. But we can be pretty stubborn on that. Remember one time uh, I was raised in Lima, Ohio on Route 75. And we were going to go to Dayton, Ohio. That's 70 miles south. My dad got in the car and he started heading north toward Toledo. And after a little while, we all say, hey, Dad, you're going the wrong way. You're going north toward Toledo. No, I'm not. Well, yeah, you are. You're going to... Nope. No, I'm not. Pretty soon there was a sign that said Toledo, so many miles you know those places only cops are supposed to turn around in? My dad whipped through that, started going south, and never said a word. And we didn't have, we didn't have uh, the guts to say, hey, you turned south, didn't you? Well, he was going to get to Toledo if he didn't turn around. You got to stop and think, what went? How did I get here? How did this fall apart? And what do I need to do to turn it around? Me individually or as a church? And then it says, and then do the works. Nothing wrong with works, but the ones you did at first. That's telling me that there's some works they were doing at first that they're not doing now. But they got commended for a whole lot of works. What are the works a person would do out of love? I think it's more the kind of works that Mary was doing, worshiping Jesus, focusing on Jesus and his words, falling deeper in love with him rather than being busy with so many things. Do the works that you did at first. Talk. Talk. I'll never forget, I read once where uh, an elderly woman died who was an Auschwitz survivor. And at the funeral, her long-term husband 
said, I never knew her. The friend said, you, ne- you, you knew your wife? No, I never knew my wife. How could you say that? Because she never would talk to me about Auschwitz, which impacted her so much. She wouldn't share with me the deepest hurts and experiences of her life. It was so much part of her. I, I never felt that I knew her. That's what I think the works you did at first are. Long talks. Getting to know each other. They have a song on that one too, don't they? Some old one. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I don't know that one very well. <laughs> now, a warning. This is unbelievable. If not... I'll come to you, and I'm going to remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. Wow. Serious business to him, this love thing, isn't it? I'm going to come, and I'm going to remove your lampstand. You won't even be a church. I want to, prom- or I want to submit to you all these towns we drive through, and you see these churches downtown that once were thriving churches and now are empty or just existent because they have an endowment, whatever, they may think they're a lampstand, but they have no light. It's dark, usually literally dark, but it's dark no matter how much they turn the lights on. Um, A church is a place that has the light of Jesus Christ shining out of it. And uh, you can't manufacture that. We can't make that kind of a light. It's interesting that the history of Ephesus, John's disciple that became the pastor in that area in the second century, spoke of a church there in glowing terms. Do you know what that means? They turned it around. After John wrote this letter, that church revived. They did listen. And yet, in the 5th century, in the Middle Ages, a, uh, there's a traveler that went through that has written this in historical documents. I came to the city of Ephesus, and only three Christians could be found, and they knew nothing of Paul or John. <laughs> Can you imagine Well, we could. You know, it's interesting that the very city itself, this great seaport, silted in for two to three miles, and the city itself was never what it used to be. (laughs) The physical city, but also the spiritual city. And I must say that In my several days of being in current-day Ephesus, it's a big tourist attraction where people come. The ruins are just unbelievable there. One of the greatest archaeological sites in the world that's been been, uh, recovered, unearthed, and so forth. But I never met a Christian there. I assume there's some there, but I tell you what you will see there. They sell those little Artemis statues that were burned when Paul came. Huh. What went wrong over time? 
Now, it's interesting. He comes back and he, he gives them what Dale Carnegie calls the sandwich method. <laughs> Do you know what the sandwich method is? You, uh, you have to tell somebody some really tough stuff, say, on, on work on a review. So you start out and you give them some bread. You say, hey, these are some good things I see here. And then you give them the meat. However, <laughs> this is not good. But then if you can, you come back and you give them some more bread, make a sandwich out of it. And that's sort of what Jesus does here. He goes, yeah, you do have, uh, you have this. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Does that sound like a word that Jesus wouldn't use? Hate? I thought Jesus was all love. The Bible says, abhor that which is evil and cling to the good. Abhor means, oh, you're in shock. You hate it. You cannot love unless you hate. <laughs> you can't cling to the good unless you hate the evil. You need to distinguish. He said there's these people, and we'll, one of the later letters really gets into these, so we'll save that for then when we go into the Nicolaitans. But basically it's this. You can be a Christian and have one foot in the church, but you can, you know, you got to do business and so forth. You got to live in this world. You can have the other foot in Ephesus, and that's fine. It's it, it's fine. You can compromise. You got to you got to make a living. You got to compromise. You got to get along with the world. Jesus said, "I hate that compromise, and you do too." And I appreciate that out of you. And then he comes back and he asks for a response. The response, there's going to be a reward, but we're going to touch on the response here. And then we'll come back and elaborate upon it. So what does he expect? He who has an ear, not physically, but spiritually, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What that's saying is, Oakland Drive Christian Church 2021... You got your ears on good, buddy? Remember that? The truckers? You got your spiritual ears on? Listen to what? Not Craig Clapper. What's the Spirit saying to the churches? What's the Spirit saying to me? To me as an individual Christian, because I'm most responsible for myself. And then it says this, there's a reward. It's really interesting. At the end of each letter, he says, like a, like a parent, I got a reward for you if you do. You know, we have a dog we're kind of nuts about and uh, actually needs to lose a few pounds because she likes treats, but we can't help but give her treats. <laughs> you know what that's like. Sort of like that. I got a reward for you to the one who conquers do you know what's interesting there? It doesn't say to the church. We're responsible for, for the individual Christian. And corporately, it'd be even more wonderful. The one who conquers. You may have a translation that says to the overcomer, to the victorious, to those who listen up and do what I say here. Comes back to love me. I'm going to grant them to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. <laughs> that goes, I'm going to restore Eden to them one day. And we see it at the end of the book of Revelation. One day they're going to be with me in heaven, in paradise. 
And there is the tree of life, and that's where it's at, and I'm going to let you eat of it. You'll be in my presence with me. Now, there is an interesting thing archaeologically. In Ephesus, you can go to a place called Paradise, where there was a temple to Artemis, where you could go and eat of what Artemis called the tree of life. It was actually just a big orgy, and they called it Paradise. That's not what he's referring to. You, you don't need to go down there. Don't compromise. One day, you'll be with me in paradise, and uh, you'll eat of the tree of life and have eternal life. I'll give you eternal life, and you'll be with me forever in paradise. If you're an overcomer, if you're victorious, if you conquer, what a uh, fellowship and fulfillment one day. But even in this early earthly journey, you know, I was thinking, how does a person... Um, you know, in that song, you've lost that love and feeling by the righteous brothers. Bring it on back, bring it on back, bring it on back to me. How do you bring it all back? And why are we so easily drifting away from that relationship? I think we need to go back and remember as it said, why did I go in this in the first place? What was it all about? First John 4.19 says we love him because he first loved us. The only way you're really going to love him, I believe, is to really think through the sacrifice, what we celebrate here at communion. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall I not also with him freely give us all things? We need to go back and think, who is Jesus? What did he do for me? And fall back in love with Jesus. And then the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, there's this really interesting verse. He says this, Christ's love compels us. Interestingly, scholars don't know if that means Christ's love for me compels me or my love for Christ compels me. And the word compel other translation says the love of Christ is what, what controls me. Or the love of Christ is what constrains me. What I love, it was actually an a athletic term for wrestling. The love of Christ pins me down. <laughs> holds me down and then pulls me to himself, as one translation says. Wraps himself around me in love. And conquers me. I submit that it's both. We love him because he first loved us. Paul says, I'll tell you what motivates me. Christ's love. And then somebody says, well, Paul, his love for you or your love for him? And Paul says, both. (laughs) It's a relationship. This love of Christ is what has captured my heart. Pinned me down. Keeps me from... Seeking any other, won my heart over. And I look forward to one day living forever with him in paradise. But until that day, I just want to get to know him better and better and better and love him more and more and more. Amen? Amen to each of us individually. And uh, I tell you what, I've prayed for, as I prepared all this, I said, God, um, 
work that in me. Help me to realize, to remember, uh, and uh, to fall deeper and deeper in love with you, Jesus. I would uh, ask that you do the same thing. If you don't have it, just, you can't make it happen. Just say, Spirit of God, I've got my ears on. (laughs) And I've been listening to what the Spirit has said to the churches. Work that in my heart. Help me to see you, Jesus, and love you more and more. Amen? Let's pray it. Lord Jesus, what more can we say? Um, Our hearts can become callous. We can get so busy even in the Lord's work that we forget who it is we're even working for. Help us to be Mary's and not Martha's. Certainly we are to work and to serve, but uh, it seems that that passage was indicating that Mary, or Martha rather, was a little distracted by what was most important. May we not be distracted, but grow in our love for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Please stand as we end this um, song. Oh, wow, Craig, this this fits so perfectly. It's called Victor's Crown, and and your choir had it ready to go, and then the pandemic had hit, and we never got to do it. But we're going to sing it as the Kingdom Church today.